This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, guys. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9. The choir was singing, and I was thinking about, or singing about God's goodness. I was listening to an, an interview this week on a podcast with Todd Blackledge, who is a former quarterback for Penn State, who, who works for one of the networks now. He calls a lot of college football games, but um, it was about his, his, his walk with Christ and the interviewer was asking him, you know, how's God, what's God saying to you just kind of, just in recent times as you, as you study God's word and everything, he said, you know, what strikes me again and again is the goodness of the Lord, just the goodness of God in all circumstances of, of, of our lives, even, even in the trials of our lives to know that there's a sovereign God who is good and who is working in our in our lives. Well, we're going to look at, um, we're going to talk today about the, the compassion uh, to reach your, your one. And uh, as we look at the gospel of Matthew in, in chapter 9, earlier we, we sang from, from that great old hymn, Blessed Assurance. And, and one of the, the, the lyrics from that hymn is, this is my story, this is my song. And, and today what we're seeing is, this is kind of Matthew's story. This is Matthew's testimony. Matthew is saying that this is who I was, and this is who I am by the grace of God, because Jesus reached out to me in compassion. And we're called to reach out to others in compassion. Let's stand as we look at God's word together today. Matthew 9, <clears throat> and let's pick it up in verse 9 and, and go through verse 13. The Bible says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. You can be seated. Father, we thank you for the compassion that you showed for sinners like us in giving your son for us. We thank you that instead of giving us what our sins deserve, which is your just condemnation, that you gave us mercy, that you gave your son for us. And having been rescued by mercy, we pray that you would make us people of mercy, that you would make us people of compassion for others. And that just as we've been rescued by you, that we would now join with you in compassion and seeking to see other people rescued. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. 
you know, as we walk through these weeks of, of Who's Your, Your One, the series, it's really important that we understand kind of what, the, what this is and what it's not. Who's Your One is not a program. It, it's something to, to help us think intentionally about people in our lives who are far from God. And so last week we talked about those concentric circles. We talked about maybe people in your inner family, right? And then you take the circle gets wider and maybe your extended family, right? And then you think about, you know, people that you work with or, or people in your friendship circle or, or, you know, people that your kids do recreation with or uh, neighbors or, or acquaintances or, or whatever. That circle keeps getting wider. And of course, at our church, we're all about, you know, going thousands of miles to reach person X that might live in another continent. And we need to be all about that. And you know, I'm all about that. But listen, if we're reaching out to person X who's thousands of miles away and we're not reaching out to people who are far from God in our own lives, that's kind of hypocritical. So it's, it's, a, it's a both and, right? But we're called. And so when, we, when you think about who's your one, this is just a way, a way to get us to think intentionally and specifically about people in our lives that need Christ, people that we need to be praying for and, and, and reaching out to and, and inviting to, to be a, a part of, of God's family. And here's a way that we ought to think about, you know, Sundays when we think about worship. Every time that we have a worship service, every Sunday morning is an opportunity for you to bring a friend. And when you do that, here's the deal, they're going to hear the good news of the gospel. And so we don't, you know, it's great to have special events and things like that that we can bring friends to. That's great, but you need to view every single Sunday morning as an opportunity for you to bring a friend knowing that when they come here, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus. Now, that's not the case at every church. Matt Chandler is a pastor of Village Church in, in Dallas. And Matt tells about a time before he became the pastor of that church when he and his wife had been reaching out to a young woman named Kim. And so they've been sharing with her about Jesus and the good news about him. And so they invited her to come with them to a, a concert. And at this concert, it's a Christian concert, but there was a speaker there and instead of getting up and preaching about the good news of Jesus, this guy just wanted to talk about sexually transmitted diseases. And so he gets up and he's going on and on and on about, uh, about STDs. And then the centerpiece of his message was that he took a freshly plucked rose and he threw it out into the congregation. He said, I want everybody to pass this around. So they pass around the, the rose. And, and when it gets finished getting passed around, you know, the petals are falling off and everything is kind of limp. And he takes it back and he holds it, he holds it up and he says, now who wants to be like, who, who wants a rose like this? And Matt said, it was all that I could do <laughs> to restrain myself from standing up and saying, Jesus wants that rose, you idiot. That's why he came. Jesus came to heal and to redeem and to restore. Jesus wants that rose. Jesus has restored. Um, he's all about the restoration of people. He's all about reaching out in compassion to people. And one of the problems 
with the church in America today, and one of the reasons why we're not reaching as many people as we should for Christ is a lack of Christ-like compassion for lost people. So how do we, how do we, how do we kindle that compassion in our hearts? I think we see some principles in this text for, for doing that. So, so what do we see here? First of all, we see something about seeing people. Something about seeing people. Let's check out verse 9. The Bible says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the toll booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. A man named Matthew. Sometimes he's referred to in the Gospels as Levi. Very Jewish name. It was not uncommon for Jewish men in the first century to have multiple names. So clearly, Matthew's been raised in a, in a Jewish family. But let me tell you, Matthew has strayed a long way from his upbringing. And we know that because verse 9 says that he was sitting at the toll booth, which means he was a tax collector. So the deal in first century Israel was that it was under Roman occupation, the Romans um, were, were collected exorbitant, extravagant taxes from occupied peoples. And so they wanted to finance their Caesars and their wars and all their projects. And so they would, they would levy these, these heavy taxes on, on peoples and in countries that they had occupied. But instead of just collecting the taxes themselves, they would get locals to do it for them. Locals who lacked scruples. And that was Matthew. Matthew's been collecting taxes for the, the Roman government. And so he was looked at by his own people as a traitor and also as a cheat. Because in order to even be a tax collector, you by definition had to be in that culture a person without scruples. And so if you lack scruples, then you know, it was not uncommon for the tax collectors to collect even more than what the Romans required so that they could pocket some of the money. Well, this dirty business had made Matthew a rich man. But it came at the price of his soul. Well, guess what? Nobody in that community cared about Matthew's soul. <laughs> they just wanted him out. They wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. His, his very presence, the very presence of someone like Matthew in their community just made them angry. They would look at him and they would just become angry. Nobody was caring about his soul. Nobody but Jesus. It says here in verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, he saw, he saw a man named Matthew. Jesus saw him, not just for who he was. Jesus saw Matthew for who he could be by the grace of, of God. And when, when we read the Gospels, this is like a recurring theme that just comes up again and again and again, that Jesus reaches out to the outcast, to the outsider. Jesus has compassion for, for outcasts, some of whom are outcast because of choices that they have made. That was Matthew. 
Matthew had made himself an outcast because of the sinful choices that he had made in his life. But, but those are the kinds of people that we see Jesus reaching out to time and time again in the gospels, right? Prostitutes, right? People who have led all kinds of you know, scandalous lives, uh, people like Matthew, people like tax collectors. So we see Jesus reaching out to pe- some people who have made themselves outcasts. And then we see Jesus reaching out to people who are considered outcasts because of their race or because of their religion. And so you see time and time again in the gospels, Jesus reaching out to people like Samaritans and people like Gentiles. These people were outcast because of their race or because of their religion. Sharon Hottie Miller is a Christian writer. Just this week, she was in the airport in, in Minneapolis, you know, this huge public airport. And there's this family from South Asia, young family, the kids just walking through the airport, clearly Muslim. And a young man just, 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 just call, points at them and calls out, you know, they may be terrorists. You know, what in the world is coming, is becoming of our country? I wonder sometimes. But you know, as, as followers of Christ, we are called to much more than simply refraining from yelling and hate at Muslim people. We are called to love Muslim people. We are called to love those who are on the outside, the immigrant, the refugee, right? People of other races, people of other religions. We're called to love these people as Christ has loved us. We're called to love people who are, have, are outcasts because of maybe choices that they've made in their lives. Drug addicts, alcoholics, maybe someone who's homeless. It's not for us to question how they got in that situation. They are in that situation, and we have a Savior who loved us when we were helpless. When we were weak, when we were vulnerable, when we were without a Savior. And and listen, the truth of the matter is that we have all led sinful lives. Every single one of us. And our sins might not be as much on the surface as maybe the sins of, of some other people. But our sins are no less serious in the sight of God. And we have a Savior who who, who loved us when, when we were in that situation. We have a Savior who instead of giving us what we deserved, who, God gave his son for us. When we deserve nothing but God's condemnation for our sins, what did he do? He made it possible for there, in the, Rome, in the words of Romans 8, 1, for there to be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so instead of giving us what we deserve, God gave his son for us. You want to talk about justice? Justice, we're all in hell. As believers, we've been on the receiving end of mercy. And God calls us to view other people with, with mercy. And especially those who are, who, are, who are outcast. We are to be the first ones to reach out to them in love because we have a savior who has done that for us. And so the gospel 
should transform not only the way that we view other people, it should transform the way that we view ourselves. We should view ourselves as undeserving, unworthy sinners who have been rescued by the grace of God. And now, having been rescued, we join with God in seeking to see other people rescued. So there's something here about seeing people. Second, something about sitting with people. Something about sitting with people. Verses 10 and 11. While he was, reaching, while he was reclining at the table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now we know from uh, both Mark and Luke's account of this, that this this dinner party took place at Matthew's house. (laughs) Well, Matthew's house in that community, you know, that Matthew's house was viewed the same way that people in Russia and the Ukraine would view the area around Chernobyl, right? You just like, you don't want to get close to there. You could become infected yourself. But Jesus takes Matthew up on his, on his invitation. And he brings the disciples with him. And guess who else Matthew invites to the party? <laughs> he invites his friends, <laughs> his motley crew, which was, and his circle of friends was not a respectable circle of friends. It was other people like him. <laughs> it was other tax collectors. It was people who were notorious sinners in that community. But see, Matthew is celebrating. Matthew is celebrating the fact that he was lost and he's been found. Matthew was celebrating the the forgiveness of sins, the new life that he has received in Christ. He is celebrating as one who understood what it was like to be doomed. And now he knows he's been saved. The Swiss theologian Karl Barth would go and and preach at the, the jail sometimes in in the city of Basel, Switzerland. And so he would go there on a weekly basis and he would preach to to these guys in in, in prison. And one time Bart told them a story about a a guy who was was driving at night. And this is in in, in Switzerland in in the winter. And this guy is driving in the middle of the night and he gets lost and he takes a wrong turn And he inadvertently drives his car across a frozen lake. (laughs) And he doesn't even know it until he gets to the other side. He gets to the other side and he just realizes, I just drove my car (laughs) across a lake. I was like one crack of the ice from doom. But I've been miraculously saved. It's like I've been given a new, a new life, a new opportunity. That was Matthew. That was Matthew. Like he knew that God had just saved him, rescued him from, from doom. And so he wants to throw a party at his house. And it's a party with a purpose. Because he invites 
all of his friends, all his you know, fellow tax collectors and, and notorious sinners in that community, he invites them. And then he also invites Jesus and the disciples. Because Matthew thinks, you know, what if I could get all these people around the table? What kind of conversations would that produce? Well, Jesus thinks this is a really good idea. <laughs> and so Jesus takes it up on him. And so Jesus goes and he sits down at the table with these people. Well, this draws the criticism of the religious leaders. You know, um, Dr. N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, uh, says of this passage, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because while other religious leaders of the day saw their task as being to keep themselves in quarantine, Away from possible sources of moral and spiritual infection, Jesus saw himself as a doctor who'd come to heal the sick. There's no point in a doctor staying in quarantine. He'll never do his job. You know, there are way too many Christians who are, who are living in quarantine. And look, I understand that there are times in our lives when there are certain people we don't need to be around. I mean, particularly a lot of times, new Christians, you know, it could be if you're coming out of certain lifestyles or whatever, substance abuse or whatever, there, there, may, there are times when you, there are certain people you don't need to be around. I get that. Totally understand that. But for most of us, that's not the reason why we don't engage more with people who are far from God. Now, the reason most of us aren't very much engaged with people who are far from God is because we lack compassion for them. It's because it's so much easier just to kind of do our normal lives and just kind of you know, go about our busy lives and just kind of do what we do and spend whatever free time that we have, just kind of, kind of being around our family or just kind of being around Christian friends all the time. It's easier to stay in our comfort zone, isn't it? It's easier to stay in the Christian bubble. It's easier to stay in our holy huddle. Or worse, sometimes we not only stay in our huddle, our holy huddle, but we yell at people who aren't yet in the huddle. Do you ever stop and think what a lot of irreligious people in America think of Christians, I'll tell you one of the things that they think, many of them think that we don't like them very much. You say, well, but they don't, maybe they don't like us very much. Well, guess what? We're Christ followers and they're not. That means that we're called to love people who don't love us because we have a savior who loved us when we didn't love him. That's the gospel. I shared uh, a week or two ago about Rosaria Butterfield. And uh, Rosaria is a pretty amazing woman. She's married to a pastor now, uh, but she's, she's written a, a couple of tremendous books I would commend to you. The, the, her t the story of her testimony of coming to Christ is called Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. 
Rosaria definitely qualifies as an unlikely convert. She was, uh, she was a lesbian activist at Syracuse. Uh, she was a professor at Syracuse of queer theory. Um, she was a Marxist uh, politically and, you know, really could not stand uh, Christians. And she wrote, this, she wrote this editorial in the local paper just, you know, uh, against, against Christianity and, and everything. Well, you know, she got all kinds of mail for what she had written. And she got lots of fan mail and lots of hate mail. And then she gets this letter that doesn't really fit neatly into either category. And it's from a local pastor and his wife, Ken and Floyd. And they said, we read what you wrote. We would love to talk with you about it. Love to have you over to our house. And let's just, let's get to know each other and let's, let's talk. And remarkably, <laughs> she found herself accepting the invitation in her book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, Rosaria tells about how she felt as she pulled up to their house that night. She says, I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. But our conversation was lively and fun. These people simply didn't fit the stereotype and I simply didn't know what to do with this. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. Ken and Floyd invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and learn in dialogue. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. It takes compassion to reach people. Yeah. Jesus had compassion for us. You know, maybe instead of uh, yelling at people in anger, we should be reaching out to people in love. Pretty sure I know which one Jesus would have chosen. So we see something about seeing people. We see something about sitting with people. Third, we see something here about sick people. Something about sick people. Verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, when he heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, the quote here in verse 13, when Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, he's quoting from the Old Testament and specifically from Hosea 6.6. 6. And the context of Hosea 6.6 6 is that the people of Israel were continuing to engage in the rituals of worship, but they had lost the heart of worship, which is love. And we looked at it last week in the great commandment. Someone approached Jesus and they said, what's the greatest commandment in all the law and the prophets and all the Old Testament? How did Jesus respond? He said, the greatest commandment is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. The heart 
of worship, the heart of what God desires from his people is love. Love for him and love for others. Jesus says here, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And the word mercy there in its original context in Hosea 6 is the beautiful Hebrew word hesed. Hesed is, is one of those words that is hard to translate in, with one word in, in English. It can be translated as mercy. It's sometimes translated as kindness or as loving kindness. It's sometimes translated as steadfast love or faithful love or covenant love. Hesed is a combination of, of, of love and loyalty. Love and, and loyalty, faithfulness. And it's the kind of mercy that God has had for us because he had faithful love and mercy for us, not based on anything in us, but based on who he is. It's interesting when, when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, this is, this is how God describes himself. It says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. That's tested and truth. This is who he is. And God maintains faithful love for us, not because of any inherent righteousness on our part, not because of faithfulness on our part, because we are so often unfaithful, he has mercy for us because of who he is. And he calls us to that kind of unconditional mercy for other people because we have been rescued ourselves. I don't know if any of you have been able to catch any of Ken Burns' film on country music uh, last week and it'll be coming up again this week. But I love the story of Johnny Cash. It's a great story of redemption because he was someone who was, was rescued himself and then having been rescued, he wanted to reach out to other people. And so he would go and he would perform in prisons, Folsom Prison and San Quentin. And there's a great scene in the, the film Walk the Line, which is about his life in which Cash is, is meeting with executives from the record companies and they don't want him to do this. Like, why are you doing Why are you going and performing in these prisons? And they're like, Johnny, you know, that most of your audience is, is, is Christian people. What, you hanging around with a bunch of convicts? And Johnny Cash says, well, well, then they're not Christians. <laughs> you, you see... <laughs> If we've truly experienced redemption ourselves, if the gospel has truly gotten down deep into our lives and taken root, when we understand that we were undeserving sinners ourselves and that we have been rescued by the grace of God, it, it means that we want to see other people. We want to see other people be 
rescued, right? Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fish for people. <laughs> if, you're not, if you're not fishing for people, if you don't have compassion for other people, there's reason to wonder, have I ever experienced that myself? The ultimate example of hesed, of God's mercy. It's in the cross. Old Testament scholar Ian Duguid says this, the fullness of the Lord's hesed is seen in the cross. There the true hesed, Jesus Christ himself, the only human ever truly to be loyal to the Lord and to his neighbor in every aspect of life was treated as the covenant breaker and cursed for sin so that we who were unfaithful might be clothed in his faithfulness and thus redeemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible hesed, the mercy the loving kindness, the steadfast love, the faithful love, the covenant love that you have shown to us, though we are so undeserving. We pray that you would give us the compassion for other people that you have shown for us. Lord, may we view people with your mercy and compassion. May we see people not just for who they are, but for who they could be by your grace. in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. 
tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.